Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, before we get started, some things I have to say is we're uh, um, uh, entering a new phase of ministry, uh, somewhat nomadic from a location standpoint. Uh, just so you know that I do have the expectation um, of going dark. Uh, just so you know already, uh, I've already had to be in communication with some of our service providers. Uh, and the gist of it is just kind of questioning what it is that happens here. And it's really nothing fancy at all. We just open up the Bible, we read, we study, and that's it. Uh, and I find it very interesting how we're seeing what's happening in the persecuted church in uh, certain Arab countries, in Asian countries, even in Western cultures, in Canada, and even here in the United States, how... Uh, Teachers of the Bible, pastors, are under heavy scrutiny, um, and it's something that has impacted us here as well. Um, there is a new area of the church website. Uh, if you go to the church website, it's an area where you can tell us about you. And in the event we do go dark, uh, what I want to do is compile a, an email list uh, offline, uh, but I do want to have an email list, so in the event we do go dark, I'm going to reach out to you. Uh, now, if you're listening on a platform where the church website is not indicated, ask the person who told you about this ministry. Uh, it, it might be several people that will lead you to me specifically, uh, but there are most likely the person who has uh, uh, informed you about this ministry is most likely a, a, a veteran of the U.S. military. Um, ask this individual, ask this person, or maybe in some cases a group of people uh, on certain message boards, uh, veteran groups. Um, that might be you. That might be how you found out about us. But ask the person who told you about this ministry. He or she will inform you how to get in contact with the, the church website. And this email list is specifically for in the event we go dark. Uh, if we do go dark, I want a means by which I'm able to reach out to you uh, and inform you about uh another tier of a, a different platform. So it's all in preparation for the events of the last days. Uh, the Lord could tarry. The Lord could tarry. Uh, but we have to be wise to the times. Um, now, it, when I say ask the person who told you about us, it's not to be secretive with any bad motives at all. But just so you know, we do have listenership in every continent, except for, except for Antarctica. We're not in Antarctica yet. But we do have listeners in areas of this world where the cost of being a Christian is very heavy, very heavy. Um, and so uh, it's very pure motives behind uh, the, the reason why I say to ask the person. It's also to establish, um, I don't want to say network because that sounds too business-like, uh, but to establish ties uh, with these saints of the last days, this remnant of the last days. Um, pray for the saints. Pray for each other. Pray for this ministry. I want us to grow and stand together during the 70th week and until the Lord returns. Uh, I'm no pastor nor the son of a pastor. I just open up my Bible and teach. Nothing fancy.
That's it. We study the word of God verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. There's really nothing fancy to it at all. But what's so beautiful is in the power of the Holy Spirit, how he changes us as you and me together, we yield to him. Prophetically speaking, the Bible tells us that the last last day's generation will enter very perilous times. Very, very perilous times. Um, times of sorrows. And you've heard us say before, with plurality, it's not time of sorrow. It's times of sorrows. It's going to be very perilous and very sad, very sorrowful. Now, we're in the coming weeks, uh, possibly even the coming months, uh, doing uh, uh, periodic prophecy updates. And just so you know, when we do have these prophecy updates, I would recommend to not have children listen uh, because they will be in some ways terrifying. Um, and if you have like, uh, if they're teenagers, that's one thing. I mean, of course, to your discretion, pray about, pray about it. Uh, but like little children, just maybe, you know, go in another room, play with your toys, uh, go play outside, do whatever. Um, or maybe you just put on your headphones and you just listen solo. Uh, but in some cases, what I want to get, if we get into the events of the 70th week of Daniel as prophesied, um, actually understanding from a prophetic standpoint, I, I say today from a prophetic standpoint, but all these things will come to pass. Every jot, every tittle of what we read in scripture, prophetically speaking, will come to pass. There are prophecies that are terrifying. And as this last day's generation, these are things that we need to know about. It's not to sensationalize or anything like that. I love the fact, I hate it and I love it. I hate the fact that I don't know you, but I also love the fact that I don't know you because I have no reason to boast in not knowing you. This is specifically for us being edified by the word of God, but understanding from a prophetic standpoint how to navigate through the times and, of course, honoring the Lord as Christians, a remnant of these last days. And so keep that in mind. These are things that are be coming down the pike uh, and, and pray for this ministry, pray for one another. Uh, but we are entering very, very dark times. Now, this darkness it will subside in an era of peace, but I'm doing my air quotes. Remember, from a prophetic standpoint, this peace that is going to come in the world, it will be fake. It will be, a, will be a trap. It will be in the power of Satan ushering in the Antichrist. Okay? And this is the particular Antichrist that wants to kill you. Okay? As Christians. And if you're Jewish and you're listening, he wants to kill you too. Both Jew and Gentile. Christians and Jews understand that, you know, when, when we read certain prophecies, they are comforting. They are beautiful. They are immense comfort that the Lord provides us from his word. But there are also other aspects that are quite terrifying. And so if you have when we have these, and I'll, I'll, I'll specifically say, you know, this is a prophecy, actually a specific me message on uh, prophecy updates. Don't have your little children listening. Now, if they're you know, 10 years old, 12 years old, teenagers, you know, that's, you know, pray about it, but that's to your discretion. But like little tiny children, we don't want them to be terrified. You know, as a parent, protect your children, protect your little ones. 
Okay, so let's continue on our study through Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, what's so powerful here is that remember in in, in this this problem that has arisen in Ephesians is, you know, we see this, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 the potential for the saints to forget. And it's all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord knows what he's working with. You remember in our study through Exodus and Numbers and especially Deuteronomy, how, how many times do we see Moses telling the people, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And we see that in Deuteronomy as Moses is giving his discourse to the second generation who passes to the promised land. But we see the exact same thing here with Paul to the Ephesian saints. And remember when we started our introduction to Ephesians, this threat that arose among, or the, 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 the threat that when in, in, in Acts 20, how when Moses called the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, the ones who were supposed to protect the Ephesian saints and feed them and guide them also through perilous times. And from among that group of people, the overseers, the elders, very special people in terms of their ministry and in terms of their responsibility unto the Lord, but also unto the sheep. But Paul says, at my departure, he says, at my departure, some of you wolves will come in among you and some of you will become wolves. You see, very... Now, what is the condition of Ephesus that permits such a thing? What is the condition of the heart that presents such a, a problem? You see? And I love so much how, if you look really quick, before we get started in our study, if you look really quick to 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, you remember how in, in Acts 20, when Paul says, you know, after my departure... Wolves will come in and wolves will come in even among you. You guys will become wolves or some of you. And I love how in 1 Timothy, and when Paul says at my departure in Acts 20, but in 1 Timothy, a pastoral epistle, pastor to pastor, Paul to young pastor Timothy. And he says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So do you see what happens? Paul breaks, a little breakaway, and he goes off into Macedonia, the region of Macedonia, except he tells young Timothy, hey, Timmy, you stay here in Ephesus. You remember when Paul in Acts 20, he says, after my departure, you overseers, you elders, ravenous wolves will come in among you. That's what he tells them. That's the warning. But he also sends Timothy, hey, Timothy, you stay here. You see, so when we look at our study, if you remember our study in the Corinthian letters and in uh, <clears throat> we said it a lot in the Corinthian letters, the bubble, Paul's bubble. The, this isn't just like, you know, Paul's friends. It's not just like, you know, Paul's uh, 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 companions. They were his companions, but it was deeper. These are warriors. He's training warriors. When we look at Acts and you see the this little bubble of Paul, his his entourage, so to speak. This isn't like you know, like uh, uh, like you know, you know, Paul's a nice guy, so let's hang out with Paul. No, Paul is teaching them. 
the next generation of elders and pastors and ministry leaders. And one of them by the name of beautiful, beautiful Timothy. He says, you know, I'm going to Macedonia, but you, Timothy, you stay here. In verse 3, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, you, Timothy, in verse 3, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You see why? Because Paul knows. Timothy knows too. The ravenous wolves are coming. The ravenous wolves are coming. He says that they teach no other doctrine. Now, Remember, these are teachers now. These are teachers now of the pastors, elders, ministry leaders. These are teachers. And Paul says to Timothy, charge them, charge some of them that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. You see? And it's so powerful because what happened, and, 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 and look what he says in verse five. He says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some having strayed. Remember when Paul says, you know, to the elders, the Miletus meeting in Acts 20, when he says, you know, ravenous wolves will come in among you. Well, Paul knows the threat that is Right outside the door, he knows the threat that's there. The wolves are coming. And he warns the elders. But now he's telling Timothy, Timothy is well aware of the warning, well aware of the threat. But yet of these teachers that they teach no other doctrine, he tells Timmy, hey, Timmy, tell them, charge them that they teach no other doctrine. And of these people, he says, some having strayed in verse six, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law. You see, just like we saw in Galatians, a return to the law. They want to be teachers of the law. In verse seven, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. You see, oh, this is what the Bible says. They affirm it. Oh, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, God told me this and God told me that. And, you know, this is how it is. We got to do this, the, uh, 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 the Sabbaths. We got to do the feasts, the festivals. Oh, we got to do the law, all these things. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, yeah, they affirm it, but they don't know what they're talking about. You see? And then he says, Pastor Paul to young Pastor Timothy, but we know in verse eight, but we know. The law is good. The law is still holy if one uses it lawfully. You see, it's so powerful because Paul goes into Miletus or Paul goes into uh, uh, Macedonia. But that entourage, this holy bubble of his, there's a little breakaway. And he says, hey, Timmy, you stay. You stay in Ephesus. You see, you hold the fort down. You're the heavy in Ephesus. You see, so powerful. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter two. Now in continuing our study from last week in verse one, he says, and you, and you, and you. Remember Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and you. Who is he speaking to? Every Everyday Christians? Now you could say, okay, everyday Christians. But remember in chapter one, verse one, when we see the faithful saints, you say, well, wait, what, what's the difference? Well, do you remember our study through the Corinthian letters? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
he says, you guys are saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, you guys are saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you guys are saints, except you're babies. You're babies. You know, I came, I gave you milk, and now we're three years later, and I still got to give you milk. You're still on milk. You haven't matured. You are still carnal. So he says, yeah, you know, for chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saints. Chapter 2, saints. Chapter 3, saints, but babies. Chapter 4, saints. Chapter 5, he says, okay. You know, remember, acknowledging that chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, saints. Chapter 3, we see baby saints. But then now chapter 5, he says, okay, now because of the fruit of the flesh, what you see, the fruit is already revealed. Now you see the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the reviling, all these works of the flesh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now he speaks to the remnant and he says, now remnant, separate from these people. You see, don't even eat with them because a little leaven leavens the bunch. So we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, saints. Chapter 3 reveals their baby saints. Now we see the breakaway in chapter 5. And now he speaks to the remnant. Now of the ones who are leaven, of, you know, of one, he says, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see. Now this remnant is not without chastisement. Remember, do I praise you in this? I do not praise you. You see. There was still chastisement for the remnant, but this remnant, they were faithful. You don't see the works of the flesh like you do with the sex and the drugs and the, you know, the alcohol and the extortion, everything that's listed, the works of the flesh in 1 Corinthians 5. So you see our remnants, saints, but the cost of being a baby came at a heavy price because now you see the separation from this, from, from the whole. And now you see the remnant, you see? And then the teaching continues for the remnant in first Corinthians chapter, first Corinthians and then second Corinthians. So we have to make this distinction because in Ephesians chapter one, verse one, we also see faithful saints, faithful saints, just like we see in, uh, 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 first Corinthians chapter one, two, three, four, everybody's a saint, you see, but then there's a problem with those who are still carnal. You see, those who are still carnal, they were babies and it's beautiful to be a baby. But after a year, you're not a baby anymore or you shouldn't be a baby anymore. After a year, if you're still a baby in Christ, that's not good. If you still haven't matured in Christ, putting aside the elementary things of Christ, that's not good. But what do we see today? We see 10 years of Christian, 20 years of Christian, 30 years of Christian, even 40 years of Christian, and they don't know the Bible. That's called being on milk for 30 years. That's not good. And so we see these deep, we're going to touch on some deep doctrinal things here in chapter 2. And so we see this in, in, in verse 1, chapter 2, and you, remember, faithful saints, chapter 1, verse 1. And here he continues in verse 1 of chapter 2, Ephesians. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Past tense. Past tense. Who were dead. Past tense. Were dead in trespasses and sins. I love this so much because that's what's so beautiful about water baptism. Water baptism is like our burial. You go down in the water and boom, that's your gravesite. I meant picture like a, a tomb there. Here lies 
you know, Jack. Here lies Jill. Here lies whoever, whatever your name is. Here lies, and that's your old nature. You come up out of the water, and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see? And he made you alive. Jesus Christ made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which, in verse 2, you once walked. Notice, past tense. You once walked according, according to the course of this world. You see, the world was, it's, it's the carnal nature. The works of the flesh and dead works. That is how I once walked. That is how you once walked. You see, past tense, past tense, past tense. According to the prince of the power of the air. You see, it's very evil. Very demonic, satanic. And all these influencers in accordance to the ways of the world. Demonic, satanic, evil. And that's how I once walked. That's how you once walked. Past tense. But no more. No more. You know, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study Purpose in your heart to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's hardcore. It'll blow you away. But it will help you understand deep spiritual things to help you grow and mature in Christ. To not walk according to the flesh. Learn to walk according to the Spirit. And so we see this. Regarding the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, notice the lowercase s, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, you see? And this is all revealed by the fruit. You look at the fruit, look at what Paul did, you know, empowered by the spirit. But when those in Chloe's household, in the church in Corinth, they wrote a letter to Paul, hey, Paul, all these things are happening in the in the church. There's this and that and this. And Paul, when he finds out about it, he doesn't say, "Oh, Chloe, you're such a you know you're you're a meddler, Chloe. You're 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 gossiping, Chloe." No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. What does that say about the honor, the beauty, and the honor of and the integrity of Chloe and those in her household? You see. That exemplification of the fruit of the Spirit, they don't have to, they're not making things up. Oh, I don't like this lady, so I'm going to get Paul to be against her. I'm going to make up these lies and I'm going to manipulate this. I'm going to manipulate. You don't see that. That's the carnal nature. That's the flesh. And Paul catches wind of all these things that are happening in Corinth. He says, It is actually reported among you. And then he lists these things. That's when he says, Your rejoicing isn't good. You guys come to church, you meet together, and from the outside looking in, you might think like, okay, this is beautiful. Somebody on the outside might be like, oh, look, a group of Christians, they're worshiping the Lord together. And Paul says, hey, your rejoicing isn't good. It's not a good thing. Why? Because of the leaven. And so when the fruits of the flesh and the works of the flesh are revealed, something has to happen. It's the overseers who have to correct that. And so Paul, making mention of this, this is, this is how we used to walk. This is how we used to walk. This is the old nature. This is the old man. This is the old woman walking according to the course of this world. 
According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. When you see the fruit of the flesh, you'll also see disobedience. But where you see the fruit of the spirit, you will see obedience unto the Lord. You say, well, how, how can you say that? How dare you say that? You know, once saved, always saved. How dare you say that? Look, so what if I do a little crack? No big deal. God is good. So what if I do, you know, the strippers? No big deal. What? That's a huge deal, my friend. That's a huge deal. That's walking according to the flesh. And you need to repent. You say, wait a second. I have habitual sin. I have habitual sin. Okay. Habitual Listen, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with Him. You see, you need to give it to Him. Whatever it is, I don't care how ugly it is, the sex, the drugs. I, you know, you hear me say from time to time, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. Even if it was murder, you murdered somebody. You know, you you believe in Jesus Christ, but you just freshly murdered somebody. Repent, come to Christ, and then call the cops and say, hey, look, I did it. And then you go to prison, you do your time, you have to reap what you have sown, but you're a Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ, and you start your prison ministry. You see? So many times people say, oh, yeah, I repented, I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? Oh, my wife found out, now I'm sorry. You see? Well, that's You're sorry because you were found out, but the Lord already knows. I'm talking about repentance, which is to turn from that sin, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. And where you see that? Obedience unto his word, obedience unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see the fruit of the, the fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And where you see that fruit, you will also find obedience. You see, obedience. And you might see it. Within yourself, not to boast, but you might see it within other people. And you're like, wow, that is my brother. That is my sister. I want to be with these people because I don't want to be with, you know, yeah, they, they say they're saints. They say they're Christians, but man, they want to do crack. They want to go to the strippers. They want to do their meth. They want to go gambling. They want to, they say they're Christians. I, don't, I want nothing to do with that because I read my Bible and whew, they say they're Christians, but I see disobedience and I don't want that. And so what do you do? You make this distinction and now you make the separation just like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because that's leaven. And leaven leavens the bunch. Leaven leavens the whole. And I don't want that for you. Paul doesn't want that for Corinth. Paul doesn't want that for Ephesus. You see, Peter doesn't want it. Why? Because in obedience to the Lord, the Lord doesn't want that. And so Paul is... A little cause to remembrance. But say to say, hey, remember, this is how we once were. According to the, the spirit of the world, the prince and the power of the air. In verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Past tense. Remember the old man, the old woman. That's how we once conducted ourselves. The nature of the, of, 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 of the carnality. The passions of the fleshly desires. Male, female. That's how we once walked. But remember, there's life in Christ. Life in Christ. When you're water baptized, you go down in the water. That's 
you know, you think about the walking in accordance to the world and the power of the, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is not of the Lord and walking in accordance to that. Well, your water baptism, that's the grave site of that guy. That's the grave site of that gal. You see? And Paul says in verse 3, We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Very interesting. People like to forget about the mind. Oh, yeah, I don't do crack. But in my mind, wow, all I think about is the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. You see? Oh, I don't do sex, but in my mind, I've talked to men before where they're like, man, I could be a pornography producer. People in ministry, I could produce pornography movies. It's like, what? Remember, the battle is in the mind. Where the mind goes, the feet will follow. Where the mind goes, the hands will follow. It's only a matter of time. But what about cleanliness in the mind? Cleanliness of hands, clean hands, clean feet, clean mind. All before the Lord. Remember, nothing mangy. Remember our study in Leviticus? Nothing mangy. He says, in whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, past tense, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And that's what happens when we're born into Adam. Every single person who has lived is born into Adam. You come out of your mother's womb, born into Adam, born into sin. You believe in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, you know, you go down in the water, the water baptism, you go down in the water, and that person, that man born into Adam, that woman born into Adam, goes down in the water, dead, burial site. Put a tomb there. Here lies Jack. Here lies Jill. Here lies whoever, whatever your name is. Here lies this person. You come up out of the water, you're no longer born in Adam. You are born again in Christ. You see? It's all supernatural. Now we see this. But God, in verse 4. I love all these buts that we see in the Bible. B-U-T. All these buts I love because you read this like, whoa, this is like hardcore, whoa. And then, but God, I love that so much. Or, but Christ, I love that so much. You see it, Old Testament, New Testament, it's like you're reading a passage and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is what in the world is happening. And then, boom, but God, ooh, I love that so much. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, remember, grace is having what we don't deserve. And mercy is not having what we do deserve. It's just the opposite. I mean, the opposite of, you know, like grace is having what we don't deserve and then mercy is not having what we do deserve. And in verse four, God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. I love this present tense. Because of his great love, present tense. And just as revealed in Brother John, as the Spirit reveals to him and he reveals to us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. God is love. Present tense. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Past tense. Very interesting what we see here. 
So we see in verse 4, because of his great love, present tense, with which he loved us, past tense. It's like, wait a second, present and past? I don't get it. Well, Paul explains it here in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Let me read that again. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Now, that's the past tense. You see? Remember, while we were sinners, Christ died for our sins. While we were sinners. You didn't have to get cleaned up. You did not have to get cleaned up. And God loved you. In your sin. I remember, I'm so ashamed of my past. Very rarely do I reveal, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll say something about my past, but I'm so ashamed of the things that my hands have done and that my feet have done, what my mind is, what everything that I've been involved with in the past before, before Christ. And yes, that was me in Adam, born into Adam, but there is so much shame in that. But then when I read passages like this, which with which he loved us, past tense, God didn't say, you know what? You can't come to me unless you clean up your life, clean up your act. And I say that to you because there might be somebody listening who in his mind or in her mind is thinking, you know what? God, God can't love me. Let me tell you something, my friend. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe that. That comes from the father of lies. His name is Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. Beelzebub. That serpent of old who was a murderer from the beginning, he wants you dead. He doesn't want you to believe in Jesus Christ. You come, I don't care how dirty you are. You come and you believe in Jesus Christ. And as the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish, you see, and he cleans you up. And we study his word, we read his word, and his word cleanses us from within, deep within. Now you know what happens? All of a sudden, in the power of the Spirit, and with the helper, remember, capital H, the helper, the Paracletus, all of a sudden, things are going to change in your life. It's supernatural. You're not going to like the crack anymore. You're not going to like the strippers anymore. You're not going to like the gambling anymore. You're not going to like the meth anymore. It's supernatural. You see? That's one of the signs that the Lord is at work in your life. Now, the opposite is also true. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden you know the crack and the sex and the drugs and the whole nine yards. That's the works of the flesh. That's not good. That comes at a very heavy cost. That comes at a very heavy cost in this life and the life to come. And I don't say that to sound scary, but the very truth of it is, it's scary. It's terrifying. You see? Because remember Paul says to, of that, the, you know, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh because it might be that he will be saved. Now, I used to think that was the, like, like I, I never understood that for the longest time. And then I heard the testimony of a former homosexual. When he was a child, he was being groomed, seduced in the homosexual lifestyle. And he was a Christian. But he believed in Jesus Christ. And, you know, his his parents and his pastor, they always not get on his case, but say, hey, you know, come to church. We missed you at church. And, and then all of a sudden he ran away. Ran away. He was seduced into the homosexual lifestyle. And he, he was on his deathbed. He was dying of AIDS. 
and he's on his deathbed and he made a video and he's explaining that how he came to Christ. He, he repented and returned to Christ, came back to Christ. But even he was rejoicing at the destruction of his flesh. He was like, you know, I'm dying. I'm dying. But then he was praising the Lord. He was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that I'm dying. And the Lord used this very wicked stuff, this wickedness to humble me. You see? And then when I heard that, all of a sudden, I started to understand what Paul says for the destruction of the flesh. Commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see, and it's so powerful because, you know, let us be a people who grows and matures, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us and move on to perfection, not have a stunted growth or arrested development, but let us move on to perfection. And what's so powerful about this is that we see that Paul includes himself that when we conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, past tense, this is who we once were. And even with his great love in verse 4, with which he loved us, past tense, even we were when we were even when we were dead in trespasses, that's while in Adam. You could be filthy beyond belief, and God loves you. You could be clean beyond belief, and God loves you. You see? God loves you. It's very important to understand what the Bible teaches. Because what's happening today, a lot of Calvinists and a lot of the Reformed theory people. Now, if that's you, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. But we have to be straight up with each other. We have to be straight up with the word. Oh, God predestined this person to hell. And God predestined these people and me to heaven. Because we come to church, we read our Bible, and he has mercy on whom he has mercy. Jacob he loved, and Esau he hated. You see, the Bible says that. Now, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand predestination, and you'll understand, you know, on, that the Lord has mercy on whom he has mercy. Because we read passages from the Old Testament, and what does the Lord reveal in the law in Exodus? On those who love me and obey me. You see? Yes, he has mercy, but that mercy is conditional. Those who love me and obey my commandments. Oh, but Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. You see? Yeah, don't forget, Esau was a lying fornicator. It is also written. Listen to our study through Romans 7 through 11, and you'll understand more. And then I'll say this to you. Come out of her, my people. Calvinism? What does it say to the character of our Lord Reformed theory, what does it say to the character of our Lord? Knowing that he loves while we were sinners, that he sent his son to die. You see, oh, but God predestines people to hell. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. We just studied this, this predestination last week. You see, now, People, I have these conversations with the Calvinists and the Reformers all the time, the Reformed theory. Oh, you see, but God is sovereign. God, absolutely, He is sovereign. Absolutely, 100%. He is sovereign. But my question to you is, why don't we behave like it? You say God is sovereign, act like it. You see? 
And it's so powerful when we allow the word. It's not to say like, look, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. No, we get off our high horses. It's you and me yielding to the word of God and what the word of God teaches. You see? And so in verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Christ, by grace, you have been saved. You see, while we were sinners, Romans 5 verse 8, while we were sinners, you see. And it's so powerful because never, ever, ever forget, yes, that we're saved by grace, absolutely saved by grace. But salvation must be kept. Salvation must be kept. You say, wait a second, eh? We can't lose salvation. What are you talking about? Well, I'll read it again. I read it all the time and we study this all the time. But let's look at Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8 verse 13, we see here the ones in verse 13, Luke 8 verse 13. The ones on the rock are, the, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So they're believers but yet they fall away. Why? Because the time of temptation comes. Short-term believers. And say, going back to uh, Ephesians 2, we see this in verse 7, or in verse 6, and it raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not the law. In Christ Jesus, not not in the law. Remember, if you're abiding in the law, you have left Christ. If you're abiding in the law, you have abandoned Christ. If you are abiding in the law, you are estranged from Christ. That was the problem in Galatia. The only safety for you and me is to abide in Christ. No period. Abide in Christ and I in you. That's what he says. I'm just the messenger. That's what he says. And so we see this in verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you're like, wait a second. How can this be? How can this be? Like, here we are on earth. How can this be that we sit together in the heavenly places if we're here on earth? How can this be? Now, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ at the right hand of God? Is Jesus Christ in heaven? Of course, the answer is yes. Now, the other question is this. Are you abiding in him? That's hardcore. These are things that are not accepted by those carnal because they are spiritually discerned. Faith is required. You see, it's not a... a, a, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the word which we study, it's, it requires faith because it's spiritually discerned. I remember talking to a guy once, a ministry leader, an elder, a, 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 a missionary, in, involved in all kinds of ministries. And he tells me, he has a, you know, he, we have this conversation and he tells me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And there were some other guys there in the, in, in, you know, in listening around the table. And there were other guys there, you know, the, 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 the so-called the deep thinkers. 
Oh, that's good. I like that. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I love that. I love that. I love that. But you know what? Let me tell you something. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Let me tell you something. You are no earthly good. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are no earthly good. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Speaking about the these beautiful people of faith. Chapter 11, the halls of faith. In verse 36, Hebrews 11, verse 36. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. But notice, of whom the world was not worthy. That's powerful. And then to hear somebody say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And then you see it blow up on social media. Oh, yeah, look at this quote. Look at this saying. This saying is so good. Don't be no so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And it goes viral and all these things. But that's the dumbest thing. It's so unbiblical. You are no earthly good. Why? Because this world is not made for you. We are not of this world. We're just passing by. The world is not worth when you believe in Jesus Christ and you abide in him and he in you. Remember, they killed him. They crucified him. They beat him. Don't forget. The world was not worthy of him. And when you're abiding in Christ and he in you, the world will hate you too. And the Lord says, remember, they hated me first. And at the same time, also remember that this world is not worthy of you. You are no earthly good. Why? Because you don't even belong here. We don't even belong here. This place is not our home. And so let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Remember, like we've already been on the receiving end of his grace. And he continues in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, which means there's more to come. There's more grace. Remember, grace is having what we don't deserve. Mercy is not having what we do deserve. So powerful in his kind in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice, not in the law. You don't see that. In the law, in the flesh. You don't see that. In Christ Jesus. Remember chapter 2, verse 1, and you. But then when we remember chapter 1, verse 1, these are the faithful saints. It's very important to understand. This is all in Christ. Christ, all in, in verse six, we see together in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus, not in the law, in the flesh. No, you don't see that. In Christ Jesus. These are saints who are abiding in Christ. In verse 7, his kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. These are faithful saints who are abiding in Christ Jesus. And there's a threat. Remember the threat. Elders who are turning into wolves who are starting to teach. Oh yeah, let's let's start doing the Sabbaths. You see? And these servants of Satan come in. These former shepherds who are now turning into wolves. And now they are wolves. And then, oh yeah. You know, I'm a teacher, so let's start doing the Sabbaths and the feasts and the festivals. Let's observe the days, the months, and years. When Paul says to the saints in Galatia, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. But these other people who teach on things they ought not to teach, they don't know what they're talking about. What they desire, servants of Satan, is for Christians to abide in the law. Because in abiding in the law, it's a trap to exit Jesus Christ. You see? Yes, abide in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Stay in Jesus Christ. Don't walk away from Jesus Christ. Remember last week when we looked at that baby girl is in the house. She has to be safe. She has to be safe in the house. Now remember the example we gave last week. You didn't lose her. You didn't lose her. You did nothing. What happened? Baby girl was seduced and she walked away. Seduced by who? The wolves. You see? Same concept. Never, ever, ever walk away. And even that itself is prophesied. The apostasy. The turning away, the defection away from truth. The great apostasy. It is prophesied to happen. People will walk away. You see? But not so with the remnant. Those who are in Christ, even when the shepherds are going crazy, even when the so-called shepherds are turning into wolves. Oh, let's abide in the flesh. Let's abide in the law. Because you know what happens? You have to exit Jesus Christ for that to happen. You have to be seduced to leave Jesus Christ for that to happen. Oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm abiding in Christ. Well, it's not the biblical Christ. It's another Christ. Remember, Jesus prophesied when the disciples asked him, they said, well, you know, what are the signs of your coming? Tell us what is the end of the age and the signs of your coming? He says that the, the, the false teachers will come, the false prophets, the false teachers. And what are they going to proclaim? The false Christs, fake messiahs. Oh, but I'm abiding in Christ. Lord KC, that's not the biblical Jesus. Oh, but I'm abiding in Jesus. That's not the biblical Jesus. There's only one. There's only one. How are you going to know if you have a room full of a hundred Christs? How are you going to know which one to abide in? You see, you have to be a Berean. You have to know. And so we see this in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. I love that. Remember, grace is having what we don't deserve. By grace you have been saved. This is how salvation happens. He says in verse 8, Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see? Now, I'm going to give an example. Say it's my birthday, okay? Say today is my birthday, and you get me a gift. 
Okay, you go to the store, you buy a gift, and you buy a gift, you put it in a box, you wrap it up, you put it a bow on it, and you come and you knock on my door, you know, ring the doorbell, ding dong, whatever, and you know, nobody answers. And so you leave it on the doorstep. Now, the, and then you, you leave. So the gift is right there. The gift is right there. You purchase, you bought the gift, and you give the gift, and it's a free gift, and that's your end of the transaction. I say transaction, but that's a gift. I don't like saying transaction, but I say trans tra uh, transaction for a reason. But that's your end. You've given the gift. It's at my doorstep. I, I, I didn't answer the door. I wasn't home. And the gift is there. Then you come back a week later and the gift is still there. It's been sitting there all week. You remember, you gave the gift, but the gift has been sitting there. And then you come back a month later. The gift is still there. You've done your side, your end. That's a done deal. You gave the gift out of love. You gave the gift. Now, that's your end. My end, now I have to receive it. You see? People say all the time, oh yeah, you know, it's a very... Then you get into like crazy doctrines like universalism and all kinds of craziness. Then you get into the strict side, which is, you know, getting into the Calvinist side. But neither are right. Those are the extremes on both ends. Neither are right. Remember, the giving and receiving, there's... Two parts to it. Remember, Jesus Christ himself is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see? So even, even he reveals, even our Lord himself reveals that there's two sides to this transaction. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So now you have the giver and the receiver. So in the example I gave, you give the gift. You, it's at the doorstep. A month later, it's still there. Two months later, still there. Three months later, still there. Now, I open the door. What's this? Five months later, I was out of town. I opened the door. Oh, what's this? Wow, I open it, see the car. Oh, it's from this guy, this gal. Oh my goodness. Now I pick it up, you know, I read the little card. I, you know, I did the bow, nice and neat. It's a little, you know, a little moist because it's been sitting there for five months. I undo, untie it. I open it up. It was in a plastic bag, so, you know, weather sealed. Open it up. Oh my goodness. This is my favorite. Whatever. This is my favorite. Whatever. Now I've received the gift. You see? It's very important to understand these two aspects of the gift. There's more blessed to give than it is to receive. There's the giver and the receiver. And so we see verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of, your, of yourselves. It is the gift of God. These saints in Ephesus, they were given a gift. And they received the gift. But what about non-believers? Salvation is a free gift of God. And believing in Jesus Christ is the receiving of this gift. Now what the universalists say, they say, oh yeah, you know, look, God is love and God loves you. And, you know, everybody's a Christian because, you know, this is what the price that was paid on the cross. And so everybody's a Christian. You know, you can be Buddhist. Don't worry about it. You know, you're a Christian. Oh, you can do this. You can worship Mary. Don't worry about it. You know, because, you know, universal love. That's when you get into like the Episcopals, the modern day Lutherans and Methodists. It's, it's unbiblical. 
But then you get into the extreme opposite of that extreme, and then you get into the Calvinism and the Reformed theory. Oh, but God, you know, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, but he did it in a saving way for the elect. And for the non-elect, they're predestined to hell. But for these other people who are the, the elect, they're predestined to heaven. You get the extreme. It's like, wait a second. You, what's going on, Episcopals? What's going on, Calvinists? Those are, now, if you're Episcopal, if you're Lutheran, if you're Methodist, if you're Calvinist, or if you're Reformed, I say this to you. Come out of her, my people. Get a new pastor. Get a new teacher because you've been taught wrong. You see? You've been taught wrong. And we're living in a day. I mean, 20 years ago, not that it would be permissible. But as we get further in these last days, doctrine, it's getting more clear that your doctrine can either kill you or save you. Maybe not in this life, but absolutely in the life to come. Absolutely. So when I say come out of her, my people, I don't say that to be mean. I've had these conversations with Catholics and the Methodists and the Calvinists. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. How? Show me. Show me how it's mean. How is it mean? I say come out of her, my people, because you have the extremes of the Episcopals, the Lutherans, the Methodists, but then you also have the extremes of the Calvinists and the Reformed. You say, oh, that's okay. I listen to my, my Reformed pastor. And he says, well, this, there's a, a particular teacher, pastor who has a study Bible. And he says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You see? Oh, yeah, don't worry. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's in the Calvinist camp. It's a trap. There's issues with the doctrine itself. But when you get it, now you're starting to see in the Calvinist camp and the Reformed theory camp that people are starting to, the pastors, so-called pastors, they're starting to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Never do that. Never, ever, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. Now, if you're wondering more about this, you want to learn more about it, listen, you're going to have to scroll because it's, it's been kind of, it's kind of old, but listen to it. It's called, Don't, do not take the mark of the beast. And you listen to it. It's not long, but listen to that and you'll know more. You'll understand more about what the Bible says about the mark of the beast. Never take it. I don't care if you're Calvinist or Reformed. Come out of her, my people. I don't care if you're Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran. Come out of her, my people. Understand that there's the giver and the receiver of the gift. It's not universalism where, you know, everybody's a Christian. You know, you can be Harry Christian and you're a Christian. You can be a Buddhist and you're a Christian. No. But there's, it's also not the extreme opposite where, you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross, but only in a saving way for the elect and everybody else is predestined to hell. No, that gift is there. That gift is there. You see, I remember when I had friends when I was a kid and in school, I used to make fun of Christians. Christians, I used to make fun of them and ridicule them, ridicule them. And finally, they didn't tell me about Jesus Christ anymore. I used to make fun of the Christians. And it just blew me away so much. Now, the gift of salvation, it was there. And I rejected it. But in the course of time, that gift was there. And it was weather sealed. That gift was there at the door of my heart. That gift was there. 
weather sealed. So it weathered the heat. It withstood the heat, withstood the rain, withstood the cold, withstood the hail, withstood the snow, withstood it all. And in the course of time, something happened where the door of my heart, I opened it. What's this? What's this? What is this gift? Open it up. Oh my goodness. You see? It's not to say, oh, you know, you're predestined to hell. That's where the Calvinists get into trouble. In several other areas too. Okay, a lot of other areas too. But we'll save that for another day. If you're Calvinist or Reformed, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and you'll learn more. Oh, but Jacob, he loved and Esau, he hated. Biblical truth. But don't forget, mercy is conditional. Those who love me and obey me. Read the Old Testament. Oh, but Esau, he hated. Yeah, Esau made his choice. Jacob made his choice and Esau made his choice. Jacob chose obedience. Esau chose disobedience. It is also written. I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you or, you know, oh, look, I'm right. That's what's so beautiful about me not knowing you. I love, I love that. Because if I knew you, you know, oh, look, he wants to be right. He wants to be right. No, I want the Lord to be Lord for you and me. You and me, we yield to him together, yielding to him. And together we grow in him. You see, it is the gift of God, Paul says in verse 8. It is the gift of God. Now, remember, there's the giver and the receiver. Not of works, he says in verse 9. Not of works. Remember, what he's explaining is how salvation happens. It is not of works. But now we see this. Never, ever forget that there are constant threats and constant attacks. We've studied, we've seen this in, we've seen it in Acts, but we've seen it in the epistles and Romans. We've seen it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. We always see that threat, the attack of Satan. Now, turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 3. And in Hebrews chapter 3, What's the threat? What's the attack? You know, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Absolutely, we're saved by grace. Not of works. Absolutely not of works. But now we see this in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, believers, Christians. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Wait a second. He says, brethren, but then he says, he says that an evil heart, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. How does that happen? How could brethren, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, those abiding in Jesus Christ, how can they all of a sudden be unbelievers? Well, we know that a person, just like baby girl who has to be safe in the house, listen to our study from last week in Ephesians 1. Baby girl has to be kept nice and safe in the house. And so you didn't lose her. Remember, I'm baby girl, I'm going to be out of town. I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't lose her. Baby girl left. You see, why? Because she was seduced. She was in the house, but somebody came and knocking. Hey, baby girl, you know, hey, come over here. Let's go this. I got some nice chocolate. Got some nice candy. Got this, got that. And you're going to love it. Baby girl is seduced. She leaves and now she's under attack and 
actively under attack and now actively walking away. You see, now under the law where there's no salvation because salvation, safety is in the house. Now, who's going to rescue baby girl? Number one, who's going to protect the baby girl? So when the wolf comes, who's going to kill the wolf? But then at the same time, if baby girl leaves, who's going to rescue baby girl? Oh, she's predestined to, to, to leave. Oh, she's predestined. She's, she's being seduced. She's walking away and she's walking away into a lava pit. Oh, she's predestined to the lava pit. What? God is not willing that any should perish. Why is God long-suffering? If baby girl is predestined to the lava pit, why is God long-suffering for baby girl? If, if she's predestined to the pit, you see, it doesn't fit. The doctrine of Calvinism doesn't fit the Bible. The doctrine of Reformed theory doesn't fit the Bible. It doesn't fit. It must fit. I mean, you see kids with a square shape and they put it in the square hole and it fits. They get a little triangle shape and they try to put it in the square hole. It doesn't fit. No matter how you jam it, it doesn't fit. And if you push hard enough and if you jam it hard enough, you're going to break the whole thing. And that's what you see in the Calvinist Reform, the Methodist, the Lutheran, the Episcopals. Broken. Broken. The formula isn't right. Everything has to fit, align with the Word of God. And we see this in verse 12 in Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's like baby girl walking away. Our example from last week. If you're listening for the first time, listen to our study last week. Listen to the introduction to Ephesians and then Ephesians 1. And here we are in Ephesians 2. But we're looking at, you know, Hebrews 3 right now. How does this happen? A brother... A group of brothers, a group of sisters, brethren. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's like baby girl walking away. Seduced. But exhort one another daily, he says in verse 13. Daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see? The deceitfulness of sin. Departing from the living God. Nice and safe in the house. The seducer comes. Hey, baby girl, you know, you look, I got the best candy over here. What if baby girl's like a teenager? Hey, baby girl, you got the finest crack over here. Come on, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Come on, baby girl. Now look what's happening to her. The deceitfulness of sin. Her heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And now all of a sudden, she departs from the living God. You didn't lose her. She walked away. See, she walked away. Now, let's go to Luke 8. I know we read Luke 8, but we're going to look at it again. Luke 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This is Luke 8. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. You see? Satan knows. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old who was a murderer from the beginning, who roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. He does not want that seed in anybody's heart. He does not want that seed. So what does he do to baby girl? He seduces her. You see? The deceitfulness of sin, he seduces her. 
That's what he does to baby girl. But what about, you know, those who are entering baby girl's house where it's nice and safe? Well, Satan doesn't want that to happen. So when they hear, he comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see, lest they should believe and enter the house of baby girl. I mean, baby girl lives there. It's not her house, but I mean, it is her house because, but really the owner of the house is, you know, the parent who is going to prepare a place for her. And he's out of town, you know, out of town. In my example, I'm kind of building on the example we gave last week. But the ones on the rock, what we read earlier, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, notice, no growth, who believe for a while, short-term believer. What does that say right there to once saved, always saved? They believe for a while. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. You know what the biblical, the, the biblical truth about salvation is? Once saved, not always saved. Once saved, stay saved. You see? That's like baby girl in the house, you're safe. Baby girl, don't walk away. You see? Oh, once saved, always saved. So now baby girl can leave the house and she's safe. Baby girl can dive in a pool of lava and she's nice and safe. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not once saved, always saved. Look what we see here with this poor soul that the Lord is referring to in this parable who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. You see? The baby girl example from Hebrews 3, it aligns with Luke 8. The baby girl example in Luke 8 and Hebrews 3, it aligns in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. Everything aligns perfectly. It's a little square shape and it fits perfectly in the square hole. It's not a triangle shape and we're trying to jam it into the square hole because it doesn't fit. The formula must be right. Now we see this in verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So we also see no growth. No growth. I mean, in verse 13, we also see no growth. Why? Because these have no root. So the root, it's not going deep into the soil. There's no growth. No, no roots going deep into the soil to suck up all those nutrients. You don't see that. But then on the top side, in verse 14, you also see no maturity because no fruit is happening. No fruit to maturity. But now you see verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it, keep it, keep it. I'll say it again. Keep it. You see? Keep it. It's not once saved, always saved. That is unbiblical. It is once saved, stay saved. How does that happen? Well, your heart has to be noble and good. How does that happen? Well, what Philippians 4, 8 teaches us, what goes on in the mind of a believer, male, female, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't meditate on the crack. Don't meditate on the sex, 
on the strippers, on the pornography, on the alcohol, on the whiskey, on the white lies. You know, don't meditate on the Buddhas. Don't meditate on the Ouija boards. Don't meditate on yoga. You see, the Hare Krishnas. Don't meditate on that. Mary. No, meditate on whatever things are praiseworthy, virtuous, of good report, lovely, true, noble, just, and pure, all in accordance with the Word of God, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's a noble and good heart. And when the seed is in your heart, and that's the condition of your heart, and it doesn't end there, now you have to keep that seed. Keep it. And then comes the bearing of fruit with patience, which is endurance. That's the good ground. That's where you want to be. You want to be the verse 15 guy. You want to be the verse 15 gal. And it's so powerful because when we understand that it fits perfectly, the baby, baby girl example from Luke 8 matches Hebrews 3, matches uh, uh, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. Now turn with me to James chapter 2. Brother James, Brother James. And in James chapter 2, we see this in verse 18. Brother James says this, in spite of the Spirit. Remember in the, the, uh, the council in Jerusalem? Who had beef with what the, uh, uh, the, the, the Judaizers were saying, the Pharisees who believed in Jesus Christ, who were compelling people to be circumcised. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to let go of the law. Who had beef with it? Paul was one. Peter was one. And so was Brother James. So we see Brother James here in James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, someone will say, quote, and I would also add here that this is most likely a young believer without understanding. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works, as it, end quote, as if they're two separate gifts. The gift of faith and the gift of works, as if they're two separate things. Brother James says this, you know, someone will say that, that you have faith and I have works. Now, say it's you and me, just you and me. I know that there might be others, but just you and me. And I say to you, Oh, you have faith, but I have works. Or I say, oh, I have faith and you have works. As if they're two separate things. I would be in the wrong. But Brother James says this. Show me your faith without your works. And Brother James says this. A mature believer used of the Lord. And I will show you my faith by my works. The two are not separate. The two are inseparable. You see? So is belief enough? Is belief enough? You believe in verse 19 that there is one God. Absolutely there is one God. He says, you do well. But then he also adds, even the demons believe and tremble. You see? You say, oh yeah, I believe that there is one God, so I'm good to go. I believe, I believe, I believe I'm good to go. I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm, you know. You do well. Yes, you do well that there is one God. But don't forget, even the demons believe and tremble. Demons 
they believe Jesus Christ. They believe that God is who he says. They believe that Jesus is who he says. But do they obey him? Do they obey Jesus Christ? The answer is no. So it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe, I believe. But don't forget that faith and works are inseparable. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble, exclamation point. But do you want to know, but do you want to know, oh foolish man? Oh foolish man? Very interesting. Oh, but sola fide, sola fide. It trips me out so much. You know, as I don't want to get off topic or anything, but the, you know, the, you, you hear people talk about the five solas, the five solas, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, solus Deo gloria, sola scriptura. I say it with my Italian accent on purpose. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, soli Deo gloria, sola scriptura. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, glory of God alone, and scripture alone. But I take some issue with that. I take some issue with that. Because what about love? What about love? What we read in Ephesians 2. Who, you know, the the, the greatness of God's love, present tense, with which he loved us, past tense. What about love? What about mercy? Faith alone? Sola fide? Faith alone? Brother James has something to say about it. And Brother James brother James does say something about it. Brother James would take major issue with that. Just like you heard us several months ago, several weeks ago, speaking about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, you know, he says to Jesus Christ, also on his cross. And the thief says, remember me when you enter paradise. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see? How beautiful. Now, for the thief on the cross, he's like the only one, of, one of very few, where it's sola fide, or it's faith alone. Because he believed and, you know, faith alone, and then all of a sudden he died that same day, and boom, he's in paradise. Very few people are blessed like the thief on the cross. But what if, now this isn't in the Bible, but several months ago you, you heard us give that example. What if, what if the thief came down off the cross or, you know, they un- unhooked him and, you know, they, you know, he was very heavily injured, but he was let down on the cross. He healed up. Now, every day from that day forward, he would have to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. You see, in order, you know, in order to enter, par- enter paradise. Now he died that day and Jesus Christ told him today you will be with me in paradise. Beautiful, beautiful words. Today you will be with me in paradise. Because the Lord knew, you know, he's going to die today. The Lord knew. But if, I'm just saying if, if he came down off the cross, if they let him off the cross, and then somebody paid his fine, somebody paid it, somebody, 
you know, paid it, you know, and I understand that Jesus paid the price, but I'm just, follow me on my example here. So the thief on the cross lives. He believed in Jesus Christ, sola fide, by his, by faith. Now, from that day forward, he would have to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Not be seduced by the world, not be seduced by his. Now his roots would have to be to grow into the into the the, the soil, the good ground. It'd have to, you know, bring fruit to maturity. He wouldn't have to be choked in the care, choked with the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. He would have to obey Jesus Christ and His word in order to enter paradise. You see. And yet the people that the, the, the learned class, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, solo Deo gloria, sola scriptura. The five solas, which I take issue with. Sola fide, faith alone. And yet, what does Brother James say? Brother James says in verse 20, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? What does that say about sola fide? What does that say about faith alone? Now, faith alone was fine for the thief on the cross because he died. You know, moments after Jesus Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And several moments later, he was in paradise. Praise be to the Lord because he died. But if he lived, if he lived, he would have to obey Jesus Christ in order to enter paradise. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? What the, you know, sola fide? It's not sola fide. I mean, it was for the thief on the cross. It was for those who believe on their deathbed. You know, God in his grace, I was a frogman, old school Navy SEAL. Old school Navy, we had this long conversation, old guy, you know, like in a senior home and he was dying. We had long conversations sharing our war stories. <laughs> and frogman, old school. And his heart became soft in his senior days. His heart became softer. And finally, you know, I want Jesus Christ. And to pray with this guy, beautiful, beautiful soul. Lead him. To Jesus Christ, he repents, received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he believes. And he died several days later. For him, I could say, you know, sola fide, because, you know, he couldn't do anything. He was like, you know, bedridden. For him, I could say, sola fide. Because death was right there at his doorstep. But yet you have people today, oh, Sola fide, sola fide. Brother James says, foolish man, faith without works is dead. It is useless. He says in verse 21, he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, people say, oh, you see, Abraham our father, he's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to Jewish people. What? In Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile. That's in Christ. What are you talking about? People said, oh, the book of Hebrews, that's for Jews. What? what you, in, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. 
Oh, James is writing to Hebrew people. He's writing to the Jews. What? Oh, Matthew 24, that's for Israel. That's for the Jews. What? But he, Jesus Christ said, he, the disciples, Christians, they asked him, what are the signs of your coming? And he answers them. He doesn't say, you know, seven years prior, you're going to be raptured. I'm not. Listen to our study. It's called uh, 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 Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And then when is the rapture? It's not to, you know, poke fun or anything. But listen, the last day's generation really has to analyze the doctrine which we believe in. And does it line up? Does it match scripture? Do I believe in a triangle and I'm trying to make it mash into a circle shape? Do you believe in a square and you're trying to make mash it into a circle shape? No. We have to have, you know, the little rectangle, make it into the rectangle hole. You know, everything has to fit perfectly. And these are things that the last day's generation are really going to have to consider and pray about. But yet the word of God is crystal clear. There's no deviation from Paul, from James, from uh, John, from Isaiah. There's no deviation. Why? Because it's the same spirit, capital S. And Brother James says in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And people say, oh, that's for the Jews. You see, Abraham our father. In Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. We are heirs of Abraham by faith. Have you not read? Have you not studied? Oh, learned one. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see, now when you read the passage in Genesis 22, everything that Abraham does and Isaac is by the command of the Lord. Complete and total obedience to the Lord. You see, it's not works like, oh, God, I got to get, you know, 10 converts today. I'm saved by works. I got to earn my salvation. That's not the works that James and Paul refer to. But what do we see? Obedience. Faith without works is dead. I'll say it another way. Belief without obedience is dead. You see? Because even the demons believe, but they don't obey the Lord. What about you? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You say yes, and I say praise be to the Lord. Now, my other question is this. Do you obey his word? In accordance to his word. The real Jesus. Not the fake Jesus. Not another Jesus. You see? The real Jesus. Genesis to Revelation. Do you obey him? You might say no. And if that's you, I say repent. Repent. And abide in Christ. Yes, you're gonna have mistakes. You're gonna you're gonna make mistakes. You're not gonna be sinless. When you're sinless, you'll be dead. But as we grow, as we mature together, we can sin less and less and less and less, moving on to perfection, laying aside those things which easily ensnare us. You see. 
And so Brother James says this in verse 22, do you see, that's my question to you, do you see, my beautiful, beautiful friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, do you see, and I echo the words of Brother James, that faith was working together with his works, you see? His belief was working together with his obedience. And by works, faith was made perfect. You see? By obedience, belief was made perfect or complete. Everything aligns with what we read in Hebrews. Everything aligns with what we read here in James, with what we read in Luke, with what we read in Ephesians. Everything aligns perfectly like the thief on the cross for him. Sola fide, faith alone for him. But he died moments later. Had he come down from the cross, healed up, you know, went back to work and, you know, didn't commit any more crimes. He would have to obey. He can believe in Jesus Christ, but now he'd have to obey Jesus Christ. The two work together. You see? And yet today people say, sola fide, sola fide, sola fide. Brother James says, foolish man. It's not faith alone. Brother James says, foolish man. Faith without works is dead. Brother James says faith alone? No. If it's faith alone, I mean, he says faith without works is dead. So if you say, you know, faith minus works, that's dead. I don't want your faith to be dead. I don't want my faith to be dead. You see, the word of God you and me, we must align to the word of God. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, and the five solas are very big with the Calvinists and very big with the Reformed, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, soli Deo gloria, sola scriptura. I say this to you. Come out of her, my people. A lot of Calvinist teachers, Reformed teachers, are starting to teach. I, I keep saying starting to teach. They're not starting to teach. They started eight years ago. They are teaching, not in all, but in some, that you can take the mark of the beast and it has no bearing on your salvation. That goes against what the Bible teaches. It is unbiblical. A trap for the last day's believer. Right at the very finish line. A trap, a pool of lava for all who yield to that teaching. You see, and I don't want that for you. You say, oh, you look, you want to be right. You want to be right. No, I want the Bible to be right. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't even know you. I want to know you, but I don't know you. You know, I, I love that I don't know you. For this reason, I can say these things without you thinking I have any ulterior motive. How can I have motives when I don't even know you? You see, my motive is pure, my friend. My motive is pure. The Bible must be our ultimate authority. Not this guy with this study Bible. Not this guy who wants to go grave soaking. Not this other guy who says, you know, the replacement theology. No. The Bible. The real Bible. The real Jesus. Not the fake one. 
who says he's the, the brother of Jesus, the brother of Satan, Mormons. I love you too, Mormons, but I say it to you also, come out of her, my people. You see? Why? Because judgment is coming. Remember, everybody talks about, oh yeah, you know, God's wrath is coming to this earth and God's wrath. Yes, it is coming. But <laughs> it is coming. But, but don't forget, judgment comes first to the house of God. <laughs> I don't mean to chuckle at that. But I mean, that's kind of scary. You see? As for you, that's, that's the, 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 the church at large, but to the remnant. Get your heart in order. Get your heart in order. And I say heart. I want to say home, but I say heart. Why? Because like Joshua, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But as we get further in the last days, I don't say that anymore. As for you, as for you and your heart, serve the Lord because you have a choice to make. Prophetically speaking, those under your roof, the church is going to enter crazy town. And those under your roof might enter crazy town. I want to say, as for you and your house, serve the Lord. But I say, as for you and your heart, serve the Lord. Let's go back to Ephesians now. Now, we see this. I'll read verse 8 all over again in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Praise be to the Lord. Not of works. Not of works. Brother James, he lays it out pretty clear. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's no boasting. No boasting. What Paul says aligns with what James says, aligns with what we read in Luke. Everything aligns perfectly. Same spirit. The same spirit. It's not the spirit saying, you know, abide in the law and you shall be saved. No, because Satan knows. He wants you to be in the law. And he uses his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they're servants of hell. Oh, yeah, abide in the law. Look, do the Sabbaths, the feasts, and the festivals. Do these things and you'll be safe. Look, it says here in Deuteronomy, it says in Numbers and Leviticus, do these things and it is pleasing to the Lord. Observe Israel according to the flesh. You see, listen to our study through Galatians. Do not abide in the law. Abide in the fulfillment of the law. His name is Jesus Christ. And the salvation is through faith. Yes. It's by grace we have been saved. Yes. It is the gift of God. Yes. That's one side of the transaction. There's the giver. Now there's the receiver. You see? And the gift is there. If, if, if you're listening and, you know, you might have heard about Jesus Christ 10 years ago and you rejected him. And I say to you, reject him no more. I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear, I will come in and sup with you. Open that door, my beautiful friend. Be unbelieving no more. We are living in the last days. Be unbelieving no more. Open the door of your heart and receive him. And if that's you, you want to receive him as Lord and Savior, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, you come back, you listen, we grow together. We move on to perfection. We're just passing by. Remember, we're just passing by. You see? 
It's not of works. Lest anyone should boast. It's not like, you know, oh, I need 10 converts and I, I, I'll i be a Christian. I'll, I'll be saved. Oh, I, you know, I got to get, I got to do this and I'll be saved. I got to do this. I'll be saved. No, it's not works like that. But it is works in terms of obedience. It's not like, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now let's go to the strip club. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's go gambling. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's do some crack. I believe in Jesus Christ. Do about pornography. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's go do the Ouija boards. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's worship Buddha. There's no obedience. Even the demons believe, but they don't obey. It's not of that type of works, lest anyone should boast. You see? For we, remember chapter 1, verse 1, the faithful saints. For we, now remember Corinth, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, everybody's a saint, chapter 5. Okay, now you who are faithful, separate from these others, the works of the flesh. Now, Remember, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, okay, I'm going to do exactly what that's. Okay, hold on a second. Remember, there's a three-year, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but there's a three-year time period by which these people, these saints who were, yes, they were saints, but there was no repentance in the works of the flesh. They were doing the works of the flesh for three years, and it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Instead of doing the works of the flesh and getting better and better and doing the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh dying and the works of the Spirit becoming alive, instead of that happening, it was the opposite. The works of the flesh were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and now it was infecting the fellowship in Corinth. Now, that that was a three-year they were still on milk for three years. So like, you know, if you see the works of the flesh in a brother or sister and it's a week, hold on, be patient. You know, we all have the carnal nature that, you know, we're in these earth suits. We're, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, you see. And the Lord is teaching us and he's showing us. I mean, you, you hear us make mention of first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade and on. That does, it's not like, you know, first grade in a day, second grade in a day, third, no, the, the regular school year is, you know, months, you know, like a year, nine months, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been in school, eight months, nine months, the regular school year, no, it takes time, learning, maturing, it takes time, so now as being the receiving end of grace, now we give grace, you see. But that doesn't mean, you know, like someone says, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the strip club, want to join me? Say, no, brother. Don't do that. That's not good. You're not going to do that. I don't want you to do that. You see? And help him grow. Help him mature. You have a, 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 a your female and you have a female friend. Oh, you look, I, we're going to go get baked tonight. Come on, let's go get baked. No, sister. No, that's not good. That is an honor of the Lord. You see? So, I mean, if it's like a week, you know, a, a week, you know, I, I want to say cut some slack, but be gracious. Now, if it's Two years later, three years later, somebody's been always bug bugging you. You know, hey, let's go do crack. Let's go. Let's go to the strippers. Let's go to the gambling. Let's do our meth. Let's do all these things. Now, separate. Separate because that person's on milk, staying on milk, no growth. Now, separate. You see? You have to make these distinctions as you grow, as you mature. Listen to our study through the Corinthian letters. You'll understand. Now, for we, in verse 10, Galatians or Ephesians 2, for we, speaking to the faithful saints in Ephesus, we are his workmanship. Stop right there. 
Let me read this again. We are his workmanship. Now let me ask you a question. If I'm beating on my wife, do you see the workmanship of Jesus? If I'm doing crack, do you see the workmanship of Jesus? If I'm worshiping Buddha, do you see the workmanship of Jesus? If I'm doing the meth, the sex, the pornography, the Buddha, the tax cheat, all kinds of works of the flesh, do you see the workmanship of Jesus? Now, if that were the case, I couldn't teach anymore. I'm biblically unqualified to teach. But if you saw that in me, do you see the workmanship of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. But if you see the opposite, if you see like, wow, this guy used to do sex, this guy used to do the strippers, this guy used to do his drugs, his alcohol, this guy used to beat up on his wife, this guy used to do all these things, but I don't see that anymore. I see the fruit. That's when you see the workmanship of Jesus. And that's what should be seen, what should be seen inside the body of Christ, the fellowship of the saints. That's what should be seen. Now, there's segmenting that has to happen. And when I say segmenting, it's a good segmenting because you're going to see people who've been walking with Jesus Christ for 10 years and their works of the flesh was 10 years ago. And depending on when they came to Christ, it might have been also 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And you're going to see segmented growth. But you're going to see something so beautiful of people together moving on to perfection. You're going to see crackheads who became Christians and they were crackheads just yesterday. And praise be to the Lord, they're in the camp and we're together moving on to perfection. No more crack. Crack was just yesterday for some. Crack might have been a week ago, a month ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago for others. But yet you see a beautiful people sojourning through this world together. The assembly of the saints, the ecclesia. You see, the koinonia. We are his workmanship. Now what do you see when you look at somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Now, you don't have to like ask questions or anything. It's like an interview. Okay, now where do you go to where do you go to church? And what version of the Bible do you read? No, you don't you don't have to go you don't, you don't have to go that far. All you have to do is observe the fruit. What do you see when you observe the fruit? Do you see the lying? You see the little tax cheat? Oh, little white lies. The little white lies here and little white lines here. Oh, do my crack, do my pornography, do my strippers, do all these things, the Buddha. That's not the workmanship of Jesus. That's the workmanship of Satan. You see? His deception. They might say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Look, I believe, look, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. Even the demons believe. That's what Brother James says. Beautiful, beautiful Brother James. We are his workmanship. Now, remember, there's segmenting that has to happen. The good segmenting, I have to emphasize that. You see? But you can see the work of the Lord 
inside of his people. And that's how you'll know, wow, this guy's my brother. Wow, this lady's my sister. Look at, like, I can't tell you how in love I am with Chloe. I cannot wait to meet her. Chloe, Lydia, all these beautiful women in scripture. Hannah, I cannot wait to embrace these beautiful, beautiful believers. Obedient unto the Lord. I cannot wait to give them a big fat hug. I'm so in love with them. And then I see Paul. I'm so in love with Paul. And Peter and Timothy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Epaphroditus, you know, and Philip. I'm so in love with all these people. I cannot wait to meet them. And I see the workmanship of Jesus. Look at, look at Paul, a former persecutor of the saints. And now look, he's a, a, a father Spiritual father, when he says, like, when he speaks, like, to, to birth you again, it's like they're passing through his birth canal. He has no birth canal. But spiritually speaking, he speaks as if, like, they're, they're his children. You see, that's the workmanship of Jesus. Created, in verse 10, in Christ Jesus. See, not in the law. Not in the flesh. In Christ Jesus. The safety, the safety for baby girl is in the house. You see, the safety for you and me is inside of Jesus Christ. Not inside of another Christ not, that is, doesn't align with scripture. Not inside of the law. Not inside of the flesh. Inside of Christ. For good works. <laughs> the two work together. Belief and obedience. For good works which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Emphasis on should. That we should walk in them. I love this. Now, understand. Satan knows this. Satan knows this. And so what does he do? He offers enticing alternatives. Oh, the Lord is calling you to teach the Bible? No, 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 no. Don't teach the Bible. Here, look. Try some of this crack. Oh, the Lord is calling you to teach the Bible. No, no, no. Why don't you go enjoy your time at the strip clubs? You see, Satan offers alternatives. He knows, Satan, Satan knows that the marriage of faith and works is powerful. He knows that the marriage of faith and works or belief and obedience is a death blow to him. He knows it. I mean, look at the book of Acts. I mean, remember how many times, if you've been walking with us for a while, how many times do you remember us referring to offense in our study in the book of Acts? You know, the, the saints going on offense. You see? Saints on offense. And Satan knows. What you see in the book of Acts is the marriage of faith and works. The marriage of belief and obedience. What's also, what also you see is the Holy Spirit doing powerful things. The Lord doing powerful things through, you know, when the Bible says that the Lord was doing, you know, uh, uh, unusual uh, movings through Paul. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't like the norm. You see? And people say, oh, that, 
You know, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It was for another dispensation. No, you don't see an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. There, there, there's no power in their life. Why? Because there's no marriage of faith and works. No marriage of belief and obedience. No, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, solo Deo gloria, sola scrittura. That's what they say. The five solas. Oh, but my pastor, he has a study Bible and he says that. Let me ask you a question. Is that the same pastor who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? You'll still be saved? Get a new pastor. Sola fide. What does Brother James say? Brother James, he says, Oh, foolish man. Oh, foolish man. Sola fide, faith alone? No. It's not faith minus works. It's faith plus works. Because faith minus works equals death. Faith is dead. I don't want your faith to be dead. And you know, oh, sola fide, sola fide, sola fide. The, the, the Holy Spirit, that was for another dispensation. He doesn't do these things anymore. You see? When you read the book of Acts and you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, and you remember, you know, you see, oh yeah, the saints, they're on offense. You know, defense is good, but offense is also good. You know, the shield is good, but don't forget we have a sword. And you see defense and offense together. But what you also see is the marriage of faith and works. Not works like, you know, I got to get 10 converts or else I'm going to burn in hell. Not that kind of works. I'm talking about obedience. The same thing that Brother James says. Satan knows that that marriage of faith and works is an uppercut to him. A, a, a heavy blow to him. He knows that. So what does he do? What does he do? He sends his teachers. Oh, sola fide, sola fide. He sends his teachers. He presents them as ministers of righteousness. Oh, sola fide, sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, solo de gloria, sola scriptura. Oh, look, the five solas, the five solas. Mark of the beast, go ahead, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Minister of righteousness. But when you read the Bible... Wow, this is a servant of Satan. Mark of the beast? What? I read my Bible. It says don't take that. Still be saved? What? Once saved, always saved. I read my Bible. Whoa, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says that there's short-term believers. Luke, Luke 8. I don't know who this guy is that I listen to online, but I listen to him online and he says that this guy is crazy because it doesn't align with Scripture. He keeps saying, come out of, look, I'm reformed, I'm a, I'm a Calvinist, I'm Methodist, I'm Episcopal, and I'm listening to this guy, and he says, come out of her, my people. I follow along with the Bible, and you know what? You know, the Bible does say that. I think I am going to come out of Calvinism. I think I am going to come out of the Episcopal movement. I think I am going to come out of Mormonism. You see? Do that, my friend. Do that. Get a new pastor. Get a new teacher. You know, I say find a new pastor. It is highly likely that you're not going to find a pastor. Highly likely. It, it could be that you find one. But don't forget, in these last days, pastors, overseers will become wolves. You see? 
You might find a teacher. Find a teacher. And these are people who care for your souls. They don't want your money. They care for your souls to present you as a chaste virgin to the better husband in your better marriage. You as a bride awaiting the husband, the bridegroom. You see? And it's so powerful when we read this. Look at, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember. <laughs> you know, how many times do you see Moses? Remember, 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 remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. You see, and Brother Paul too. Therefore, remember that you, remember this is a both, both Jew and Gentile in this fellowship. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh. Now, remember, this church is both Jew and Gentile, but now he's going to teach about Jew and Gentile. He says, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that's the old nature, who are called uncircumcision. These are believers referred to as uncircumcised. And yes, people on the outside, they might call you, you're uncircumcised. And you're called that. What he says here in verse 11, by what is called the circumcision. I love that because you know who those are? The religious leaders. The religious leaders, just like we remember our, the introduction to uh, Galatians, the first Hebrew roots movement that came to the church, compelling people, oh yes, you got to be circumcised. If you want to be a Christian, you got to be circumcised and do the works of Moses, do the law of Moses. Paul took issue with it. Peter took issue, Brother James, Barnabas, all these beautiful patterns took issue with it. No. Remember, if you remember our study in Romans, what the circumcision is. And he's saying to, look, in your old nature, you who were once Gentiles in the flesh, in verse 11, who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the uncircum by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now remember, circumcision of flesh is performed by hands of flesh, males only. But circumcision of heart is supernatural, supernatural, done with heavenly hands, male and female. You see? Imagine you're a baby Christian. You're a young believer, a new believer in Jesus Christ. You, you're falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ. You're reading his word. And all of a sudden, the so-called preacher guy comes in. Oh, if, you know, if you want to be a Christian and you want to be honoring of the Lord, you got to be circumcised and you got to do the law of Moses. Now, a baby Christian, they wouldn't know any better. Oh, okay, then. well, I come to church and... This guy says, I got to do that. And so, okay, now I'm going to do that. And the unsuspecting baby Christian doesn't understand that it's a trap. It's a trick of Satan for that person, baby girl, to leave the safety of the house. You see, because if you abide in the law, you have left Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. If you abide in the law, 
you are estranged from Christ. Abide in Jesus Christ. You see? Now, Paul goes further in verse 12. He says that at that time, remember, this is the old nature, once Gentiles in the flesh in verse 11, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The citizenship of Israel is how it translates. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Remember, remember. The law itself has provisions for the stranger to be grafted into the camp of Israel. You see, remember Jethro? He's a perfect example. And Jethro gave counsel to Moses. You see? And Paul is making this distinction so that the saints in Ephesus can, yes, so they can know, so they can understand. But remember, the threat is always there. The same people who came to trick the the Corinthian saints, the same people who came to trick the Galatian saints, well, the same people are going to come into the Ephesian saints and say, hey, look, let's do the law. Let's be circumcised. And now the saints in Ephesus are in the know. You see, now they know, now they're equipped. So when those guys come, they can realize, wait a second, that's not right. That's not what Paul says. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Timothy says. And I know this guy's an overseer. He's an elder. He's a pastor. And I know he's saying to do these things, but I'm not crazy. He's crazy because he's teaching things against the Bible. And because he's teaching things against the Bible, you know, he's in the wrong But yes, he's in the wrong, but he might also be a wolf. You see, I'm not going to listen to that guy. And I know Paul's out of town, so I'm going to listen to Timothy, who Timothy was in his bubble. Now I'm going to be in Timothy, who Paul says to stay in Ephesus. Now I'm going to listen to what Timothy, he's a little young, but I'm going to listen to what he has to say. You see, remember when Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Beautiful, beautiful Timothy, a safeguard for the saints in Ephesus. And he continues, At that time, in verse 12, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel or the citizenship of Israel. Remember, the whole of Israel shall be saved, both Jew and Gentile. Remember the prophecies. Remember the prophecies. Both Jew and Gentile. And so we see from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is before their belief in Jesus. This is, they were once Gentiles in the flesh. Remember when we, when we started and in verse two, when he says, you once walked according or you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, including himself now. We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But now, in our belief in Jesus Christ, let us move on to perfection. You see? He says this in verse 13, But now, remember I love the buts in the Bible. I'm so in love with the buts because you read this and you're like, Whoa, at that time you were without Christ. In verse 12 he says, Having no hope and without God in the world. But, but now in Christ. In Christ. You see? In Christ. Just like we see in in, in verse 6. 
at the end of verse 6, in Christ, or the end of verse 7, in Christ, and now in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, not in the law, not in the flesh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ, you see? For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. I don't want to lord over your faith. But if you have a highlighter, highlight that part of verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Highlight that. and Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind. And remember it as we enter the last days. He himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. You're not going to find it in anything of this world. You're not going to find it in a product. You're not going to find it in, you know, location. You're not going to find it over here. You're not going to find it over there. You're not going to find... You will find it only in Jesus Christ. He alone is our peace. I really, I don't want to lord over your faith. And say, here, highlight this and highlight this and highlight that and highlight, but this, I'll do it in this. <laughs> highlight that part of verse 14. He himself is our peace and never, ever, ever forget that. Who has made both one? Who's both? Both Jew and Gentile. Remember, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, not in the law, not in the flesh, not in the world, in Christ, who alone is our peace. In verse 14, who has made both one and has broken down or destroyed the middle wall of separation. You know, this is so powerful, this middle wall of separation, because the second temple, the, the, the Herod's temple, this second temple, when you look at the layout of the temple, they have the, you know, the different courts. But then there's this area called the court of the Gentiles, you know, and it's so powerful because Paul is telling the Ephesian saints that, listen, there's this court of the Gentiles, but in Christ he makes both one. There's no Jew or Gentile. He's broken. That. He's destroyed that middle wall of separation. You see? He's destroyed. I mean, these are things from a prophetic standpoint. When you read the prophecies in, 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 in Revelation, these are things that when you read the blueprints, understanding the Old Testament and New Testament and the prophetical implications of the minor prophets, the major prophets and Revelation, these are things that are really going to come into play. Measure out the area of the Gentiles. I mean, measure, measure out the outer court, you know, trodden by the Gentiles. These are things that are going to come into play hardcore. I mean, okay, turn with me to Revelation 11. Revelation 11. And in Revelation 11, we see this in verse 1, John the Revelator. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. This is the third temple, the rebuilt temple. The construction, construction, you know, taking measure like the plumb line. 
This is, you know, aligns with the, what we read in, in, in Zechariah, the prophecies in Zechariah. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. You know what that is? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. The first half, the first half of the 70th week of Daniel. And then the, the latter half is in verse 3. And I give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. It's almost three and a half years. It's like uh, three years and uh, uh, th- three, 3.45 years. You see? The 70 we- 70th week of Daniel is uh, seven years. And so at the same time, what we see, we see what happens in the first half. And we see what happens in the second half. The first half is relative peace. It's going to be a fake peace. But at that time, you're going to see the construction of the third temple, which what you see some prophecy teachers, they mistakenly say that, you know, the uh, uh, the Dome of the Rock has to be torn down to make room for the the, uh, uh, the rebuilt temple. But from a biblical standpoint, there, it doesn't have to be torn down. It's a sharing arrangement because why the outer court is left out. The area of the Gentiles is left out. It's just that, you know, the area of the altar and the the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. You see, it's very powerful. That's why, like what you're seeing in the news today, the news about the the, uh, uh, Jewish uh, 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 legislation in Israel about prayer being allowed on the Temple Mount and what a huge uh, hullabaloo that's causing among some Arab factions and the Palestinians. Why? Because if you have these religious Jews, in accordance to the law, these law-observing Jews start to go to the Temple Mount and start to pray, do you think God won't hear them? Do you think God won't hear them? You see? And I'm not saying this in accordance to the law, because a lot of times Christians get mad at me. They're like, wait a second, that's in accordance to the law, that's in accordance to the law. But yes, this blinding of Israel... It's not forever. We're getting to a stage where this unblinding, it's already starting to happen. There's uh, rabbis who are believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now they're being persecuted because, you know, that's illegal. You can't do that in Israel. There's like laws against that in Israel. You cannot do that. But yet it is happening. And there's this spiritual tug of war that is... It's amping up, and we're going to give these uh, prophecy updates soon, very soon. I don't want to give specific time frames, but very soon, in the very near future. And, you know, as I said earlier in the message that, you know, if you have little children, you know, it's probably not good for little children because there are going to be some aspects of it that will terrify you. Not to for the sake of terrifying you, but to understand, okay, this is what things are going to look like once once these markers, once we hit these markers, then this is what we can expect in these last days. Pastors, pastors, be the closest you've ever been to your flock. Be the closest you've ever been to your flock and lead them, care for them, protect them, kill the wolves. Metaphysically speaking, don't kill people. But metaphysically, spiritually, slay the wolves. See? living in very, very perilous times. Let's go back to Ephesians. Uh, 
And in Ephesians, we see this in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse um, 14. He, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He's referring to that uh, uh, separating wall of Jew and Gentile in the actual uh, t- temple mount, in the actual, at the actual temple. Having abolished in verse 15, which is to make void in his flesh the enmity or the hostility that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances or ordinances and paul says that he abolished them in his flesh he made them void in his flesh you see the law and of commandments contained in the ordinance why so as to create in himself not in the law not in the flesh in himself one new man from two you see of both jew and gentile Thus making peace. It's so powerful. So powerful. Remember, turn with me to Luke chapter 12 really quick. Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, we see this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Division, you see? Division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Prophetically speaking, these these things will amp up. It's going to get worse in the last days. You see, in in the same... Verse 52, five in one house, everything under the same roof, division. And Jesus Christ says, do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. Now we see this division happen and we see this going back to Ephesians uh, uh, 2. And Ephesians 2, we see this. He says, so in, in verse 15, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace you say wait a second he said he didn't come to bring peace do you suppose i came to bring peace he says no i came to divide now but then he says here thus making peace so which is it now understand that the separate he is the door so he came into the world as the door capital d he came into the world now people came to him they see the door does everybody enter No, not everybody enters. Now you see this division. Now, some people enter Jesus and some people reject him. Now, when they reject him, that doesn't mean that, you know, okay, now they're predestined to hell. No, that gift is outside the door. That gift is left outside the door. It's always available to them. Now, the question is, will they receive it? Remember, there's two factions to the gift giving. There's the giver and then the receiver. So, it's not that, okay, I reject Jesus. I mean, I rejected Christ when I first heard of him. I rejected him. But that gift always remained there. Now, I had to open the door of my heart. And when I did, I believed and praise be to the Lord. But the same happens for everybody who rejects Jesus Christ. And that might be you listening today. If you have rejected Jesus Christ, open the door of your heart and receive the gift of salvation. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ.
and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Reject him no more. And so we see that division happening. He is the door, people enter, and other people reject him. But then we see something else. We see people who are in Christ Jesus. They entered the door. But then through seduction, the wolves come, Satan comes, he sends his messengers, he sends his messengers, and he wants baby girl to leave the safety of the house. Jesus didn't lose her. She left him. She walked away through seduction. You see? It's a trap. Now you see. And then there's other people who are, they think they're abiding in Christ, but it doesn't align with the Bible. That means that they're not abiding in the biblical Jesus. And in that, there is no safety. Satan knows these things. Satan knows exactly how to trick people. He knows how to do it. You know, oh yeah, you know, so, you, 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 you know, I, I can't get you with the crack. This is Satan, you know, I can't get you with the crack. I can't get you with the sex. Some people he can. A lot of people he can get with the flesh. A lot of people he can trap with the flesh, you know, seducing baby girl, you know, come out of that house, come out of the safety of that house. Baby girl walks out. Baby girl's out and now she's trapped. And there's no safety for baby girl because she left the apostasy. She has defected away from truth. No safety in the house. You see? And so what if baby girl's like, nope, you know, I know you're offering crack, but I don't want it. I know you're offering sex, but I don't want it. Now, Satan knows, okay, baby girl is a Christian. She believes her Bible. So now I'm going to use the Bible to trick her. Hey, baby girl, come on, let's do what Deuteronomy says. Hey, baby girl, come on, let's, let's do what Leviticus says. Let's do the law because look, the Bible says this. You see, now baby girl says, oh, you know, it's not sex. It's not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's the Bible. So now I'm going to follow that because you're right. The Bible, Leviticus does say this, but that is the law. And Satan knows that there is no safety in the law. The law is death. Satan knows it. But he tricks, he deceives. You see? And people enter the door, Jesus Christ, and they're abiding in Christ. But the seduction never stops. You see? Satan knows this. Satan knows that. In, in verse 15, Jesus Christ abolished in his flesh. He made void in his flesh. The enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace of both Jew and Gentile, abiding in Christ, not in the law. In Christ, in Christ, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances or the statutes are abolished. They are made void. So the law is still in effect. The wages of sin is death. The law is still in effect. As a tutor, a one-way road that leads to Jesus Christ. And if you go in the opposite direction, you're going you're gonna to die because death is in the law. But the law is a tutor to bring to Jesus Christ. You see? And when you're in Jesus Christ, when you're abiding in Jesus Christ, the law is made void. Thus fulfilling what 
Brother Paul says, or Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy, thus fulfilling what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Why? Because that person, a righteous person, is abiding in Jesus Christ. You see? In verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the un, un, unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. You see? You see, like, wow, that, you, you put murderers in there, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and now anything that is contrary to sound doctrine? Yes, anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. You see? That's what the law is for. And if you're abiding in any of those things, if you're abiding in lawlessness, insubordination, ungodliness, sinning, unholiness, manslayers, murders, fornication, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, sodomites, there's no safety in that. You are seduced. And what do I say? Get back in the house. Baby girl, get back in the house. Where it's nice and safe. You see? The safety is in Jesus Christ. And in Him, He Himself is our peace. As is written in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. The law is still in effect. The law is still in effect, but in Christ, it is void. Void. Yes, the law of Moses. If you're Hebrew roots, yes, the law of Moses. In Christ, it is made void. And if you're in the Hebrew roots movement, I say this to you as well. Come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Galatians and come out of her, my people. In verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both, remember Jew and Gentile, to God, this is the Father, in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. There's enmity of law, as is written in verse 15, but there's also enmity of both Jew and Gentile. You see? And for both Jew and Gentile abide in Christ, where there is no... In Christ there is no Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. No. We're all one in Christ. You see? Circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. Circumcision of the flesh is done with human hands and is for males only. Circumcision of heart is not of the flesh. It is for male and female. You see? In verse 17, And he, speaking of Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were, past tense, afar off and those and to those who were near. So afar off, Gentile, and to those who were near, Jew. You see? Jew and Gentile. So powerful. How many times do you see when we're studying Deuteronomy and we give these examples, you know, when we, say you and me are Canaanites, you know? Say you and me were Hittites. <laughs> Say you and me are Hittites, <laughs> Moabites, you know. Say you and me are this. I say these things to teach you. Because the camp of Israel is in one location. 
You and me, say we're Canaanites. Say we're Hittites. We're afar off, you see? And yet, in order for us to be grafted in, we're the ones who change our reconnoiter. We're the ones who change our location. And we go to the camp of Israel and we're grafted in. That's the law. Provisions in the law for you and me as Canaanites to be grafted in. We deny the things of Canaan. We deny the things of Moab. We deny the things of the Hittites. And we accept and believe and receive the things in the camp of Israel as given in the law of Moses. In the example, this is Old Testament times. And in the law, we learn to trust in the Lord and we learn to love the Lord and we learn to hope for the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. You see, abiding in the law is the tutor that gives us that hope to believe in Jesus Christ. And the law was added because of sin. Remember our study through Galatians? The law was added because of sin. You see? But yet, not until the seed has come. Now that the seed is here, look what happens here in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. What do you see Jesus Christ do? He goes into synagogue and he teaches and then he goes into all over the place and he teaches. You see, he goes. In that example where we're Canaanites and we change our location. No, Jesus Christ comes to us. And it's the same today. Jesus Christ comes to you right where you are. You see. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that to know that God loves you so much, not willing that any should perish. And so he sent his son while we were sinners. You see? I mean, you look at the wretchedness when, like in verse 2 and 3, and it's like, wow, you know, look, we used to, the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, you know, who now works in the sons of disobedience. That was us obeying those things and walking according to the flesh and doing things according to the world and Oh, it was so yucky and gross and nasty. And that was you and me in the flesh before we believed in Jesus Christ. And even when we were in that state, remember the end of his verse four? With which he loved us, past tense, he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses in verse five, you think of the wretchedness of your old nature and God loved you then. You see? Why in the world would a Christian, a believer, a receiver of grace and mercy say to another person, you're predestined to hell? Why? Why? How can a person say, how can a Christian say such thing, having been the on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy and love, even knowing that before that person believed in Jesus Christ, in the wretchedness of sin and the carnal nature following the ways of the world and the spirit of this age. Knowing that God loved that person then. God loved you then. While we were sinners. In verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses. And for a Christian to say to another person, oh, you're just not saved. That person's just not saved. Yeah, he goes to church, but he, he was never saved. What in the world? My question, 
What kind of love is that? It maligns the character of the Almighty. It maligns the character and nature of the sovereign God who is rich in mercy, rich in grace, and rich in love. Yes, even while we were dead in trespasses. That's, you know, that's for you. Even when you were dead in trespasses, he loved you. Now you receive the gift. Now, does that mean the gift is closed off to everybody else? No, that's called selfishness. The gift is available, yes, to other people who are today, right here, right now, in a state of wretchedness. Why? Because they're following the spirit of the age. Walking according to the flesh, according to the course of this world, as is written in verse 2. Today, right here, right now. Rather than say, oh, they're predestined to hell. How about you give them a gift? How about you tell them about Jesus Christ? You see, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, get a new pastor, get a new teacher, come out of her, my people. You are taught wrong. And so we see this. In verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Here in this one little verse, in verse 18, we see Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father, God the Father. You see? In closing, we see this in verse 19. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers. You see, this is a big deal. You are no longer strangers. Remember in verse um, verse 12, at that time, speaking of before Christ, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in verse 19, now that we have this understanding, yes to the Ephesian saints and yes to the saints of today and yes to the saints who are listening right here, right now. In verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, this is a family that is not of this world. We all have a carnal family in the ways of Adam, in the ways of the flesh. We all have family. But don't forget the family in Christ. Not Adam. You know, you hear us say, the better husband, the better marriage. But I also say unto you, the better family. It's a family of faith. The carnal cannot receive these things. But those who are living can. I'm not called to teach the dead. I'm called to teach the living. Remember God to Abraham in the wilderness? Abraham's an old man. His wife is an old lady. And she's barren, can't have kids. 
And Abraham's an old man, kicking back in the sand, looking up at the sky, the night sky, and sees all the stars. And the Lord came to him and says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Your descendants are going to be more than these stars. You see, Abraham's an old man. His wife is an old lady. She's barren. And he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the family by faith through Christ that you and me are heirs of Abraham. Behold the members, the saints and members of the household of God. Very interesting when you consider both Jew and Gentile. And then you see members and saints. You see? <laughs> to those who have ears. <laughs> Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. How beautiful is this? You see the servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. And it's so beautiful because we see the apostles and the prophets. Paul and Isaiah. Apostle and prophet. Brother James and Amos. Apostle and prophet. Peter and Jeremiah. Apostle and prophet. You see? And in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see? You say, wait a second, the seed hasn't arrived yet for for Jeremiah, the seed hasn't arrived yet. But don't forget, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. According to promise. Not the law. The law was added because of sin. But the promise? There's no law except one. Circumcision. Belief. You see? <laughs> this is so beautiful. <laughs> Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in verse 21. In whom, not in the law, in Jesus, in whom the whole building being fitted together or being framed and joined together. Remember, both Jew and Gentile, saints and members being fitted together, being framed and joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom, not in the law, not in the flesh, speaking of Jesus Christ in verse 22, in whom... You also, the saints in Ephesians, the saints in Ephesus, the saints today, you and me, right here, right now, in whom you also are being built together. And you know what this is? This translates in the Greek as close union and close companionship. Very interesting that in these last days, you're seeing this diaspora, which is will prove harmful, but at the same time, it's in fulfillment of prophecy. You who are being built together, close union and close companionship for a dwelling place of God, God the Father, in spirit, in the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Do you see how powerful this is? These are things that the enemy knows 
Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, who was a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies. He knows these things. He's the one who he himself, his demons, his servants, baby girl, come out of the house. They seduce, baby girl, come out of the house. Using all these lies, Satan knows the tactics of our enemy is to get you and me to leave Jesus using the flesh, using the Bible, just like he did in, in, in the, the Galatians or the, the Galatian saints, using the world, but it's to seduce. To leave the safety. Remember in verse 14, he himself is our peace. The only safety we will have in these last days, in any era, in any day, in any time, the only safety is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we see happening among the saints in these last days and Satan in seducing and deceiving, even he is fulfilling prophecy. He knows his time is short. He knows he's going to burn in hell and he wants to drag all the people with him, all the saints with him. That's what he wants to do. But my question to you is this. Where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? See? And even in this, knowing these evil tactics, even in this, we can rejoice. Yes, in all things rejoice. Why? Because we know that redemption draws more near each day. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.